You like the title of that, The Sermon, because that's what you're about to hear is a sermon about the sermon. If that hasn't confused you, hang on. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have the words of life. Lord, that you came to give us life, life more abundantly, God, that you came to call us. You created us for purpose, for destiny, for promise. And Lord Jesus, we want to hear your heart. We want to hear your words. And we want to say thank you for being here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate the word of God to us. We ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the next uh, season, I'm starting a new series today called The Sermon. We're going to be looking at, uh, this is kind of the intro to the sermon. We're going to be looking at the greatest sermon ever preached. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. During this time, I encourage you to read it, read the sermon, uh, study it. Dig into it, read different translations. I've been doing that uh, over the last bit, studying this. I just read it through different translations, what, what Jesus is trying to speak. And so we're going to look at the greatest sermon ever preached. It surpasses the greatest preachers who have ever lived, who will ever live, every preacher that's alive today, every preacher that will ever be on the earth. It's the greatest sermon ever known to mankind, the sermon. You ready for that? I am. When I was praying, I was uh, reminded as we, we get going here, in, in John chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to tell you a little bit. Uh, Jesus was giving this discourse on being his follower, and, 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 and he was saying what it means to be his follower, and he was saying some very radical things, especially for that day and time. It would be radical, it's kind of radical even when we conjure up the imagery in which he was using because he's standing there. He's got his disciples, his closest followers, but there are, are crowds around him. And he says, one of the things he says, he said, unless you eat of, the, eat of the son of man's flesh and drink of his blood, you will have no part with him. And it says this about a lot of the people that were with him. It says that they were, ha I mean, they basically had trouble figuring out what exactly what he was saying. They kind of, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not quite sure what I think you're saying. And if you're saying what I think you're saying, this is way too radical for us. And obviously Jesus was not saying, you know, take a bite out of my arm or, or drink my blood. He's saying, unless you're all consumed with me, unless your life is given completely and totally to me, you will have no part with me. And he said at that moment, there was a multitude of those people that walked away from him and left. He said, no, no, we, we did not sign up for that. We like your teaching. We think you're really cool, especially your miracles. Those are really awesome, especially when you heal me. Um, but we really think you're neat. But uh, this whole thing being all consumed, I can't deal with this. And they walked away. And what you don't have Jesus doing is running after them saying, hold on just a second. Let me, let me try to... Let me try to water that down and help you to, you know, receive it a little bit easier. Maybe if I say some things differently, maybe it'll help you a little bit. He doesn't do that. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't explain himself. All you see him do is this crowd just gets up and they walk away. And he turns to his immediate followers, his disciples, and he says, are you guys going to leave too? In other words, 
this is the time to do it. If you want to follow them, go. I, I'm not making the, the, the message any easier than that. If you're going to leave, now's the time to leave. And Peter speaks out, and I like Peter, but he was, he was a blurter. And he just says that, you know, and Peter doesn't say, Lord, we understand exactly what you're saying. He doesn't say that, but he says this. He said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I, I like the honesty of that because he's not saying, I completely understand what you're asking of us. He's saying, I'm in. We're in. You have the words of eternal life. And I want to take a look over this next season at the, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, because Jesus has the words of eternal life. Now, it's going to challenge us. It's going to convict us. If you've been reading it or if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. It is going to hit us at every angle. It's going to challenge our hearts, but it has the power to change our lives. Because Jesus has the words. He has the words of eternal life. And so this has the power if we apply it to our lives. Have I sold you on it yet? I hope so. But I hope and pray and encourage you that you come out each week for this. Invite someone to come. Tell them that we're going to take an in-depth view of the greatest sermon ever preached. And it's going to change their life forever. Do that. Invite people and say that. You can if you want. And so obviously I'm not talking about uh, one of my previous sermons or a sermon that you might have heard. I think about this. You know, you ever, you ever play those social games in sociology class in college? They, they did this a few times, you know, where they, if you're on a deserted island, if you could have like one book or one movie or one, you know, have you ever done that? You, you, you've had that social experiment with other people. Because what it does is if you think about that, if I'm on a deserted island, I'm all alone, and I can only have one book, well, that would tell a lot about you. Or if you have, you know, a DVD player and a TV, you know, for, for our younger people, it's like a book, what's that? Or, you know, you have your Kindle, and you can only have download one book on it, you know. For you guys that don't know what a Kindle, it's a little thing that you can download books. You don't even have to have a book anymore to read the book. But you, these things tell a lot about who we are as people. Well, if I was on a deserted island, I could have one sermon on CD. It would be Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. One sermon. That's the one I would pick. But we're going to take this journey together and have Jesus preach to us in a new way. I just get to kind of unfold it for us and look at it in depth. But as with all Scripture, I encourage all of us to open our hearts to hear what he says to us, what he's preaching to us, allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word to us. And again, I'm, I'm encouraged you, do not let the familiarity of this sermon cause you to miss what he wants to speak to your heart. Because again, there are passages here that we have memorized. You will hear very familiar things, but do not let familiarity make you miss what Christ wants to speak your heart. We have, I said this before, but we have access to some of the greatest preachers on planet earth. We have resources like never before, but there's absolutely nothing like the word of God. It is powerful. And here we have Jesus preaching a sermon to us that we have on our fingertips every day. Have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe you prayed this, if only Jesus would just come and tell me what to do. 
Have you ever done that where you're praying and maybe you're in a season in your life and you're really struggling about what you should do and, you know, maybe it's a big life decision. Maybe it's just an everyday thing and you just, I wish Jesus would just knock on my door and just make this so easy if I just open it up and he's like, hello, here's what you need to do. Have you ever thought that? Oh, yeah. We've done it. We've thought it. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, we have the Sermon on the Mount and he does tell us what to do. We have this sermon where he is speaking to our hearts and he is in some ways knocking on our, 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 the door of our hearts and he's saying, if you will listen, there are instructions here for everyday life. And in a moment, we're going to kind of go through what we're going to get out of the sermon. But in, in this sermon, and it's from Matthew 5 through 7, we will have Jesus speaking to us he will give us uh, instruction on life, and I want it to let, us, let it sink into our hearts and, again, apply it. James says this, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. A lot of us can quote this. You know, the devil could quote scripture. And just because we can have knowledge in our head does not mean it transforms our hearts. There were many in Jesus' time even that heard him speak, and we have the religious people that had the prophecies of him. They heard him speak, they heard him teach, and they missed him entirely. Don't let that be the same for us. Think of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus says, here's what it means to be my follower is, is, is I want your heart, young man. And these riches are the closest thing to your heart. Now, so I want you to sell everything and come follow me. And it says this guy went away dejected. And here he has Jesus Christ right there. And Jesus is inviting him to come follow. And so don't let familiarity, don't let that I've heard this a hundred times, let that be a deterrent, deterrent uh, to, to let God speak to your heart today. Don't let religion and preconceived ideas prevent you from what God wants to say. You know, throughout the, the Gospels, we have Jesus teaching a lot. There were teachable moments with his disciples. There were parables. But this is his only full-length sermon that we have. And so we're going to dive in over the next few weeks or so. So what is Jesus giving through this sermon? Uh, he's really, what he's speaking about is he's giving us revelations to the kingdom of God. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom, and, and, and what do I mean by this? With his coming, he was ushering in a different system. He was ushering in the kingdom of his Father, the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom not of this world. And those that would belong to him, those that would give their lives to him, those followers of his, what they're saying is they belong to him and they belong to his kingdom. And so he was ushering in a different system, an opposite system of the world system. And so the majority of his teachings were about the kingdom of God and the principles of that kingdom and how to live in that kingdom. And so at the beginning of Matthew, I'm going to just get a setup for the Sermon on the Mount. The setup for the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 1, it's kind of what's leading in now because I want to give you context of where we're going. Matthew 1 is the lineage of Jesus, the beginning of the Christmas story and how Jesus came to earth to usher in this new kingdom. Matthew chapter 2, it's a continuation of the Christmas story. 
Matthew 3 is John the Baptist. You kind of fast forward ahead, and John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus to come. He baptizes Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. They're adults now, and uh, again, you have this kind of flash forward. We don't have a lot on the life of Jesus as a, as a child, as a teenager. We have him in the temple at 12 years old, but really we, we just kind of flash, flash forward here, and we go to uh, him being baptized by, by, by John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3. Then Matthew chapter 4, it says, The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days. So the Father is preparing him for his kingdom work on the earth. And so Jesus is tempted by the devil. And then in verse 17 of Matthew 4 is a key passage. He comes out of the temptation. And then it says this in verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent or turn from your sins, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he's saying, my kingdom has come. I am here to usher in a new system And I'm here to tell you about it. And I'm here to tell you how to live victoriously in my kingdom. But he says, repent. In other words, turn from your way of doing things. Follow my way. Because the kingdom of God has come near. Then right after that, he calls his first disciples. And he begins his public ministry. And so it's interesting because I want to look at the now the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 1 and 2, first of all. It's interesting to read this, and and again, this is a setup for the sermon. So this is kind of the bookends of the sermon. Matthew 5, 1 through 2, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, there were crowds of people that were beginning to follow him and listen to what he was saying. He went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them He was actually, he had gone up, the crowd was following him, he went up higher on this mountain, that's why we have the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to teach his disciples. But interestingly enough, if you turn over to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that's at the end of Matthew chapter 7, it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, and that's what we're going to be looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus has the crowds following him. He withdraws to his, with his disciples. He begins to teach his disciples. Before it's over with, the crowds have gathered around and they are listening to his every word because they're saying, this guy has authority. Unlike our teachers of religious law, which that wasn't a compliment to the religious of the day. Those guys talk a lot, but they don't have a lot of authority. And this guy teaches with great authority. And so he's teaching his disciples, and they're gathering in to listen to his every word. And I encourage us that, like those people, that we would gather in, that we would come close and to listen to what he is saying to us. That we would listen in awe and wonder at his words and then apply them to our lives and ask the Holy Spirit to help them apply to us. So those folks were amazed at him. And I want us to, in a new way, be amazed at Jesus because it's all about him and his kingdom. I want to stand in amazement and wonder and awe of the Son of God. Because he has the power, his words have the power to change our lives. So let's gather in and listen to him. Now we're going to look at what the sermon is not. What the sermon isn't. There's a lot of, I I was reading a lot of, 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 of different thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount. Not just from Christian writers, 
<gasps> yeah, yeah, I read like what other people say, you know, philosophers, what people say about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, a lot of people revere Jesus as a great teacher. Maybe they don't, they're not Christian. Maybe they don't, you know, believe what we believe in. But a lot of them revere him as a great teacher. So I'm going to just for a moment talk about what it is not. The Sermon on the Mount is not just another neat philosophy. That, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. It's kind of a neat philosophy. It's truth. It is life. And I stand here as Peter said and said, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. I might have a struggle from time to time applying them and, and obeying, but that's the whole, the whole journey of walking with him in intimacy. But Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. The sermon is not just another neat philosophy. It is truth because it is Jesus. It's a revelation of who he is. Whenever he taught, whenever he was giving instruction, he was saying, this is who I am, and we want the life of Christ in us. And that's why when he went up after the resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit to come into us and to bring the life of Christ within us. And so we want his words to bring life to us. But it's a revelation of him. I love when John, in John 18, when Jesus is before Pilate at the, at the crucifixion, right before he's to be crucified. And he and Pilate are having this discussion. You know the story. Pilate's having a hard time. You know, his wife has told him, have nothing to do with it. I've had nightmares. Don't have anything to do with this guy. Pilate's being pulled by the religious of the day. He's, you know, he's in kind of a political nightmare with, with this whole bustling uh, uh, you know, in the city with, around Jesus Christ. So he's having this discussion with Jesus. And, you know, and I love what he says to, to Jesus. He said, do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I love Jesus' response. He said, Jesus says this, you have no authority except what's given to you from my Father in heaven. Because I can lay my life down, but I have the power to raise it back up. And then Jesus says this. For this reason I was born. For this reason I came. And if you've ever gone through the Truth Project, you know this passage well. But it's interesting because Jesus is making this declaration before Pilate. And he says this. For this reason I came. For this reason I was born. And we're kind of holding our breath. And what is that? And he doesn't say to die for the sins of the world. He did that. That was a part of his plan and his mission. He didn't say to make a place for us in heaven. That is a part of his mission plan, and he is doing that. But he says this, for this reason I came. This is before Pilate. This, for this reason I was born is to testify to the truth. That's why I came. To testify the truth. Well, who's the truth? Himself. Because later on he says, I am the truth. John chapter 8, he said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want to be free? Know Jesus Christ. Because if he sets you free, you will, you will be free indeed. I came to testify to the truth. So this is not just another philosophy. It's truth. And the truth in him, revealed in him, has the power to set us free. It's good stuff, right? Number two is the sermon is not just teachings on morality. Although it is, it's, it's the principles and it's tools to help us to live godly, it, it, it is not just about teachings on morality, but how to live truly in godliness. Third, 
The sermon isn't just good advice. It's not just good advice. Because, of you know, advice, you can take it or leave it. Somebody can tell you, you know, here's what I think you should do. And, you know, you can weigh it out and you're like, mm, you know, I, I'm not going to go with that. And usually when, we, when we're asking for advice, you know, we'll ask several different parties and say, you know, what do you think about it? Well, what do you think about it? What, what do you think about it? And then we kind of, you know, and we might throw them all out. We might just kind of come up with our own ideas. That's kind of advice. Of course, if we're wise, we'll, we'll heed wise advice. But this is not just, Jesus, what do you think about this? And by the way, as you tell me, I may or may not apply it. Don't do that. Apply it to your life. It's not just good advice. It is life because it's a revelation, again, of Jesus Christ. He gives us keys to living in and for the kingdom of God. Well, as I said, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, a new way of living. He was ushering in a new kingdom. When we accept Christ, when we belong to Christ, we come into his kingdom. And there, as he teaches his followers, in that day he was turning to his followers, but it's also to us is to say, here's how to live victoriously in my kingdom. But you only get to the kingdom through the cross. That's the only way you will understand the kingdom of God, is you come to the kingdom through the cross, the death of and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the way we have access to the kingdom. That's the only way. He laid his life down so that we could come into a new way of living, a new kingdom, and a new mindset. And that's first and foremost, you have to come to the cross. We have to humble ourselves before the cross. Again, when we think about the cross, it should bring us to great humility and awe and say, Jesus, I didn't have a chance. And you gave it all so that I could be a part of your kingdom and belong to you. For those in the kingdom, we have to daily be reminded to take up our cross. Jesus says that over and over in his teachings, taking up the cross to understand his kingdom. Take up the cross to perceive his kingdom. See, a lot of times our frustration, people have frustration with God. I've been there. When I preach this, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. So please understand, I'm not, I'm not preaching down to you at all. I include myself in all of this. But a lot of times we get frustrated with God. And, 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 and a lot of times our frustrations can be boiled down to that we want the benefits of the kingdom of God without the sacrifice to the kingdom of God. We say that again. A lot of times we want the benefits of the kingdom. We want what God can do for us, but we don't want to lay our lives down and totally surrender to him. The kingdom can only be perceived through the cross. That's why Jesus said you have to take up your own cross now. Now, thank God we don't have to be nailed to an old rugged wooden cross like he was, but taking up our own cross is to set aside our selfish ambition, is to put away self and say, I'm embracing your life in me, and I want to do it your way, not mine. But a lot of our frustrations is we want the benefits of the kingdom without taking up our cross, and the taking up of the cross is the only way that we can understand and perceive the kingdom. It's, it's completely surrendering to him. Here's what the kingdom promises that he offers in the sermon. 
I want you to catch this because you, over, these ne- over this next season, we're going, to, we're going to be talking about these things, but living victoriously. And Jesus promises that we can, we can live victorious lives. How to be an overcomer. Does that sound good? How to be more than a conqueror. Because these are all promises in Scripture. You know, Paul talks about that we're overcomers and we're more than conquerors. And we shout, hallelujah, yes, I'm more than a, I'm more than a conqueror and I'm an overcomer. But a lot of times we don't live like it. And Jesus is going to teach us how. How to live in true peace. How to live in true joy. The world looks for peace. It looks for contentment. It looks for joy. How to live a truly happy life. And it's not just looking in the mirror and trying to be happy every day with strong willpower. But I'm talking about truly, true happiness. How to have great relationships. How to have true success. No, this is not an infomercial. Only $19.99 and you can have all of this. For $25.99, we'll send you two copies. But if it sounds like, what are these promises? These are, I'm telling you, these are promises that we can walk in. But how to make an impact. We all want our lives to count for something. But he teaches us how to make an eternal impact. Then he tells us how to, he's going to teach us how to rule and reign with him. Because if we're people of the kingdom, the kingdom has a king. His name is Jesus. It's not a democracy. Jesus can't be voted out. Sorry. You're either in or you're not. He is the king. He is ruling and reigning supreme over everything. He will be the one that is alive at the very end of the age. He will be the one that's seated on the throne of heaven. And I want to be there with him. But on this earth, how to rule and reign with him. If we're in the kingdom and and we have the, the authority that he's given us and how to walk in that authority, he's going to teach us. But let me say this, with all those promises, it may surprise you how he tells us how all that's going to happen. In fact, I'm going to promise you right now, it will surprise you. So buckle up. It's going to be a good journey. But doesn't that sound awesome? We have all these promises and we can find them in the sermon. And we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be breaking it down. We're going to be looking at what he is trying to speak to our hearts. Don't let religious goggles and, 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 and those preconceived familiar goggles blind you from hearing and seeing what, what he is trying to speak. And then in conclusion, I'm going to close with this. But we're going to, the four big ideas on the kingdom of God as we launch into the sermon. And we'll launch into it fully next week. Four big ideas on the kingdom of God as we launch into sermon, or better yet, is, is how to apply the sermon. And so that's why I'm giving these, is, is because if you have to, you have to kind of gather these to be able to apply them to your lives, to apply the sermon. Because without this stuff, it won't make a lot of sense to you. But number one, the kingdom of God is precious. And Jesus, again, he's, in, he's, he's bringing in a new system. He's bringing in the kingdom of God. And he wants us to perceive with kingdom eyes and not the, with worldly eyes. Because a lot of times we're trying to, we bleed the two. We live like the world and we're trying to be in the kingdom. And we try to take a, a worldly principle and we're trying to make it a kingdom principle. They will be in conflict with each other because Jesus came with a new system. 
But if we will apply it and we get this stuff, it will change our lives forever. Number one, the kingdom of God is precious, valuable. Matthew 13, 44, all of Matthew, Jesus is teaching parables about the kingdom of God. And he gets toward the end, and, and there's a couple of little, short little stories. And he gives this one, Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of God is like this. And he's, what he's trying to do is he said, I want you to understand how valuable the kingdom is, is when you catch it, when you get it. And again, the kingdom is not just this idea. The kingdom is him. You're getting him. That's why he, his spirit dwells in us is as a kingdom that can't be perceived in worldly ideas as a kingdom of God is in us. And he says this, the kingdom of God is like this. He said there was a man that went out to a field and he found a treasure there. And he said for joy, he finds this treasure and he says for joy. And we can only, I mean, Jesus doesn't really unpackage it of what the treasure is. And, and you know, does he say it's gold or does it riches? I, we don't know. But he says he finds this treasure. And the, he's, what he's saying is the kingdom of God is like this. He finds this treasure in a field and for joy. Here's what he does. He says, this treasure means so much. I'm going to go sell everything I own so I can purchase this field so I can have the treasure. How precious is the kingdom of God to you? How precious is Jesus to you? And he's saying, just like this, this, this man that understood the value of the treasure, that we need to value, we need to stand in awe and wonder of Jesus Christ because he is the most valuable treasure that we could ever have. And he says this man sells everything. You're, what you're hearing here is total surrender. You can't have the treasure. You can't have the benefits without complete surrender. You hear that? You're going to hear that theme over and over again. Jesus, I'm going to sell it all so that I can have you. Number two, the kingdom of God can only be understood with childlike faith. I love this in Matthew 18. The kingdom of God can only be understood with childlike faith, and that's what Jesus says Matthew 18, 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, I love these guys because they're kind of boneheads, and I can be a bonehead too. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you can almost see them like little puppies. Ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me, you know, ooh, ooh. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Jesus, tell me I'm the greatest. Pick, who's your favorite? You see the disciples doing this. I mean, you have James and John coming to him. Can we sit on your right and left in the kingdom? In fact, one time they got their mother to ask Jesus. That's funny. Mom, can you go ask Jesus if we can sit on his right and his left? I mean, these guys were his friends, his disciples. We don't want to approach it. We've approached it before, and he kind of shoots us down. Mom, why don't you go ask? He can't turn down my mom. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I love Jesus. He probably just kind of had a little smile. He called a little child and had him stand among them. You just picture this. They're, all, they're talking about who's the greatest, and he brings this little kid over there, and they're like, who's that kid? 
And he says this, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's strong words. But what I love, what Jesus is doing is, is the childlike faith. Is there's, there is an awe and a wonder when you see through the eyes of a child. Isn't it fun sometimes to experience something through the eyes of a child? Their awe, their wonder, the, the, the grandness of something, and you just see this child with great faith. And you can tell a kid anything and they'll believe you. Most of them. They get a little smarter as they get older. But they just have this beautiful faith and amazement. And that's what Jesus is saying. Start seeing me. Start seeing my kingdom with the eyes of a child. Remember when you first gave your heart to the Lord, the excitement, and there was just, there was a wonder about it, and you're just so excited, and, and, and you know, and then sometimes we can live our lives, and we get so cold, and we can get so numb, and yeah, I've heard that, and yeah, the sermon on, oh, great, he's going to do a sermon on the Mount series, I've read that a hundred thousand times, what a, and we can miss what Jesus wants to speak, but he's saying this, unless you receive the kingdom like one of these, you can't even enter it. God, give me wonder, give me amazement, give me awe at Jesus Christ. Number three, the kingdom of God comes in a different spirit. Jesus was constantly reminding his followers to operate in a different spirit than the world. Again, he was bringing in a new system. We have that one, you, you guys want to be first? You want to push to the front of the line? Go to the back of the line. That's how you're first. What? Yeah, go to the back of the line. That's how you can be first. You want to be great, be the least. Even speaking of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for many. And as his followers, you know what we're called to do? The same thing that he did. We don't come for someone to serve us. We are here on earth to serve and to give up our lives for many. The word that Carrie had about Jesus talking about the shepherd, that he will leave the 99 and he will go after the one. Because let me ask you a question. How valuable, how precious is one life to Jesus Christ? Is it worth me laying down my selfish ambition and serving someone? Jesus came in a different spirit, and he's going to challenge us to come to a, in, a, in a different spirit. In fact, he even says in the sermon, we'll get into this later, but uh, Matthew 5.20, he says this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And what is the righteousness of the Pharisees? It's good works to be seen of men. He gives a list, and we're going to get into it in the sermon. But it's doing stuff for himself. How does this benefit me? The Pharisees could give, they, they could care less about the broken of society. They rebuke Jesus for being around the broken. That's why he says, I came for these people. The church should come for those people. And the religious sat in just this disgust of Jesus because he was reaching out to those that were far away from him and far away from his kingdom. And he says, unless your righteousness surpasses these guys, you'll, you, you're not going to enter the kingdom. Because all they could think about was themselves. 
and how that didn't work out for them or if it did work out for them. And Jesus just didn't work out for them. It's interesting that he came and ushered in a new kingdom. And again, and this whole, it operates in a different spirit. Even how he ministered. Do you, do, you, do you ever think and ponder about how Jesus came? And I just said it a little while ago, but we don't have much in his life like his childhood. Do you ever wrestle with that? That you'd like a, a few chapters on the childhood of Jesus? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be fun? What did he do? You know, as a teenager, how did they, how does mom deal with that? It's Jesus, the teenager. He didn't sin. We know that. What was that like? We even have him living at home and working with his father until he is 30 years old. He only is in the public eye from 30 to 33. Before that, he's probably learning his dad's carpentry business. Do you ever look at this and say, what of a waste of a resource? We wouldn't do it that way. We would, we would work him. We would have him preaching to the masses at four years old. Jesus, the child preacher. We would work him if we were God. Fortunately, we're not. It's a different spirit. It's a different way of thinking. It, it's three years of ministry, the majority in which that he was despised. And he was really only in about a 70-mile radius the whole time. Wouldn't we float him to different parts of the world to preach? Wouldn't we say, all right, if he's going to die at 33, I mean, we wouldn't, that, that's kind of even interesting. I would have him live to like 75. Just work him. I mean, he's just like the kingdom all over the world, and he doesn't do it. It's a different spirit. It doesn't make human sense, but God is so sovereign that he steps Jesus into a time of history has a minister for three years, die on a cross, leave, and then leave it to us. That's amazing. But he's going to challenge us to operate in a different spirit. Fourthly, and I said this before and I close, the kingdom of God can only be accessed through the cross. What do I mean by that? It's just like the guy who found the treasure in the field. It's, it's so precious that you give up everything. I've read this passage before, but I'm going to read it again. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying in the mindset of that, that, the, that the kingdom can only be accessed through the cross. And what I'm talking about is unconditional surrender of our lives to him. Matt, uh, this is Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He always drew some crowds, but uh, a lot of times they, they would leave because uh, they didn't like what he was saying. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, so they're packed around him. And a lot of times it was for what he could do. You know, miracles, and, and, you know, and he was a miracle worker. He still works miracles. Yes, he did those things. But even all of that, he was not trying to draw attention to that. That's why a, a lot of times he would say, do not go tell people what I've done for you. But most of the time, they would go off and tell everybody what he did. Because he doesn't want followers for just what he can do for you. He wants followers that are consumed with him. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, and he's talking about in comparison, 
In comparison, hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not giving you permission to hate your family. Okay, let me just go ahead and clarify that. Don't be mistreating your family. So Jesus said it, I had to hate you. He's saying in comparison with him. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough to, money to complete it? For if he lays the foundations, not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. A suppose, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation with, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Do you hear what he's saying? You cannot perceive the kingdom. You, it, it, you can't receive him unless you're willing, just like the man, that you see it as precious and say, I will sell everything. I will live your way. Unconditional surrender to Jesus. I will give it all to you. I will give my life to you. Jesus even says, I don't want to make it easy for you to, that you understand that you're that this kind of easy believism. Grace is free, but it cost him everything. And he wants us for himself. Giving 90% of your life to Jesus will be frustrating to you. Because we will hold with a death grip that 10% that's ours. We can't have the benefits of the kingdom without complete surrender and laying our lives down. Reminds me of the story from the Princess Bride, that really holy movie. Just kidding. When they're trying to bring back, I think it was a Wesley from the dead, and the, and the, and, and the, and the guy says he's only mostly dead. We've got a little life in there, but he's only mostly dead. Shows you how much you know. That's what he says. He's only mostly dead. Jesus wants us to be all dead in a good way. That we lay down our selfish ambition. We say, Jesus, I'm going to wake up every day and live for you. You know what? That's really impossible. And that's why we need him every day to walk with him in intimacy and relationship. That's what his offer is to say, this is not just a religious thing that you're going to do. You need to walk with me hand in hand. You need to allow my spirit to transform you from the inside out. And you need to walk in fellowship with me every day. The kingdom cannot be perceived except from complete and total surrender to him. Are you excited about the sermon? It's going to rock us, and I'm excited about it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We want to stand in awe and wonder of you. And Lord, with childlike eyes, we want to receive your kingdom fresh and new. Lord, we want to be like that man that you told the story that the kingdom of God, that Jesus, you are so precious to us. We give up everything to give our hearts to you. 
Lord, I pray that we would have new ears to hear, Lord, as you teach us, as you speak to us, oh God, that, that Lord, we would have, again, childlike amazement at you. Lord, I pray, God, that we would operate in a different spirit than the world, that we would lay our lives down each and every day. And Jesus, I pray, Lord, for every person in this room, Lord, that, that we would come back to the cross. Lord, whether we've been Christians a long time or, Lord, maybe there are here, those folks here that are, really don't know you or maybe struggling in their relationship with you, that, Jesus, today we would come to the cross because, Lord, it can only be perceived. This, this whole journey of walking as a follower of Jesus can only be understood through laying our lives down for you. Lord, I pray that your words, as we dive into this over the next season, Lord God, your words would give us life. And we say, Lord, today, as Peter said, Lord, where will we go? We have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Speak them to us. Let us hear. Let us apply. Let us be doers of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Join us up uh, in, in the fellowship hall for our